In your Bibles, if you would please turn to Joshua 24. We've been reading through the book of Joshua and, and uh, this month and having just our sermons messages uh, coming from the text. Uh, this week, uh, I've jumped kind of towards the end because next week I want to circle back to somebody and make kind of a Christmas connection to get ourselves ready for Christmas. After November, we're going to be uh, studying the book of Luke uh, and really just kind of a small part of Luke uh, and with a Christmas focus, and we hope to uh, encourage you through that. Caden uh, will be kicking off our first message with that. I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to Etna Green being his first sermon, and, uh, and it'll be a great, a great time uh, to encourage him as he encourages us. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, so as we kind of finish up things in Joshua over the next two weeks, uh, Joshua chapter 24 offers kind of like a nice summary of the book. If you kind of like read through it and you kind of forgot what all you read, uh, it's kind of a quick, you know, it's the Cliff Notes version of, of Joshua. So if you're like, man, I don't really feel like reading all of that, um, Jesus gave us a way out here. Uh, with your neighbor, I would, uh, or those around you, I have my sort of opening question, just something to think about and get ourselves thinking about uh, this morning's topic. And the question is, is what area of service do you enjoy? What area of service do you enjoy? Some of you are thinking, I don't enjoy service. I don't know why you would ask that. But I want you to think about that. Share that with your neighbor. What area of service do you enjoy? Does anybody have doing laundry on their active service they enjoy? Just want to know who to invite over to my house. It seems like there's a never-ending uh, never cycle of that. As we think about service this morning, I, I, we all serve in some capacity, in some way. Probably some more than others, uh, but, or it feels that way at times. But this morning, I just wanted to kind of set the stage for us to remind ourselves that we are a people who serve. That we are a people who put others before ourselves, and there is this sort of expectation that we would be a servant people who care for one another. This morning, I want to get right into today's text. There's a lot, a lot of ground to cover, um, but I don't want to so much have to uh, exegete or walk through in depth what Joshua is doing, because I think that we need to make the New Testament sort of flip the switch on the story and remind ourselves of who Jesus is, what he's done for us as we declare him to be our Lord and our Savior. Um, but, I, but we do need to walk through it. There is in this passage uh, something that Hobby Lobby has made a lot of money on, and so I just want to kind of tackle that passage and what does it mean for us today uh, to live as though uh, we are servants of, of Jesus Christ. So let's dig right into the text, Joshua chapter 24. 
Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the Israel or the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says." So now Lord, the Lord will kind of recount and remember what all he's done. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham and uh, from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and, to, and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They, brought, they fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. In verse 9. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Verse 11, Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You want me to say it again, or are we good? Practiced all week. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him. With all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. 
If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he had been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem, he, reaffir- Shechem, they, he reaffirmed, reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these laws in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone, and he set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people each to their own inheritance. In our story this morning, we have God sort of recounting his blessing for the Israelites. Did you notice how many times the word I showed up? So God's giving them a sort of history lesson, and the history lesson is, let me tell you all the things I have done for you. I brought you out of Egypt. I fought your enemies. I gave you the land. I have done all of these things for you. And so then there is this sort of question then of, how do we respond to this God who has gone to such great lengths to bless and care for the Israelites, how will they respond? And what they've done over the years, and and we kind of pick up on it throughout the story, is, is that the Israelites are sort of like a tumbleweed for acquiring gods and other things that they are to worship. And so as they're sort of tumbling along through, uh, through this small chunk of land, uh, they have started uh, collecting for them the gods that they would worship. And it started for them in Egypt, that they would be sort of indoctrinated in the way of Egypt and the gods that they worshipped. But then as they left that land and they started shifting towards it and they finally made it actually into the promised land, that there are also other gods that they worshipped there as well. And so Joshua takes a very long look at things and he says, he says of the Israelites, okay, here's the situation. We know all of the things in which God has, or all that God has done for us. And God goes to great lengths and he summarizes basically Genesis 12 all the way up to Joshua 23. He, in that section, is basically a summary of those books. And it's saying, listen to all that God has done for you. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the gods of the world? Are you going to serve the gods that you've accumulated? And we could spend time talking about what Israel said about those gods. That, you know, they're fashioned from wood. They have no life in them. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't touch. They have mouths, but they can't speak. And, but we're, they're still sort of given to that and given to worship of that. Why do they worship those gods? I think that's a question. It's like, why would you choose that over this relationship that you have with this incredible God who's done amazing things? And the thing is, I think it's about control. It's about a sense of belonging. It's a sense of control. It's a sense of if we worship this God, then we can get what we want. 
If you worship the God of Israel, there's no telling what you might get. And so there, I, think, I think there's some of those components to it. And so Joshua, he just gets right down to it. He says, who are you going to serve? What God is going to have your heart? What God is going to be the one that you, when you wake up and when you go to bed and what you do throughout your day, what God is going to have your heart and have your attention? And, and Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Hobby Lobby rejoiced and printed it, <laughs> right? Make sure everybody gets it on their walls. And the question is, who will you serve? And Joshua says, I've looked at all of the evidence, and I, I've heard the case, and I see all that God has done, and I've seen his faithfulness, and I know that there are no other options except for this God who has been at work in my life, and I have been a part of it, and I'm going to serve him with all that I am. So then the Israelites, they're like, yeah, I think we're going to serve this God too. And then Joshua says, yeah, you're not. They're like, no, we are, we're going to do it. He said, no, you're not going to do it. Oh, yes, we are. And Joshua says that Yahweh, the Lord God, is a jealous God. And, I, and he's a holy God. And it's that really sort of perplexing thing that happens in that, whole, in that whole narrative. The narrative is saying, give God all of your loyalty and all of your love and serve him above all else and get rid of everything else. Like, that's the message. And the people actually respond to it, and they're like, oh, yeah, Joshua, we love that sermon. We're going to live it out, just like you guys do every Sunday with me. You're like, on your way out, you're just cheering me along. Man, that was the best one yet, Jordan. We're going to live that sermon. I'm like, no, you're not. I know you. You're going to give it your best shot. And so it's kind of like, Joshua, you preach the sermon of everything God said. The people respond accordingly, and you tell them, no, you're not going to do it. And it's this question. It's like, why does Joshua turn on that, and why does he say such a thing? And he says, God is a jealous God and a, ho and a holy God, and he wants us to know, he wants the Israelites to know that if you're going to say, serve the Lord God, truly mean it. And give it all that you have because, because he's not like the gods you've acquired. The gods you've acquired, you can worship them when you feel like it. And you can give them what they ask for when you think it's needed or appropriate. You can add all of those gods up. You can add the gods of materialism and sex and power and money and all of those. You can keep adding all those. Those gods are not jealous like the God of Israel. You can acquire all of those and they won't be mad at you. They'll say, just keep collecting more and more. But the God of Israel says, you can worship only me. He is a jealous God and a holy God and He wants all of you. So Joshua warns them. He says, you may be saying this, but understand the weight of what you are saying that if you declare the Lord God of Israel as the one and only Lord God of your life, then make sure you live it out. We get the 
benefit of having our whole Bible written. And we get to know that there is a man who came, who rescued and redeemed us, who was the Son of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we get to know him. We get to know him as our Savior, the, the one who rescued us and saved us from our sins, who went to the cross, who was crucified, who was killed for us on our behalf, who became uh, for us an atonement for our sins. He became for us our righteousness. He became for us the gift of life, and he's risen from the dead, and he has done that for you. He is our Savior. We also, we also know him as King. We know that he came and he preached this message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he lived his life teaching us to be a people who would live in and embrace and chase after the kingdom of God. He said you can chase after money, you can chase after all of those things that fill you with anxiety, or you can have the peace of knowing that you have life in God and in his kingdom. And you can seek that with all of your life. Jesus, he says, the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast that works its way throughout the whole batch of dough. He says, my kingdom is going to come into this world and it's going to work its way all the way around and you get to be a part of that kingdom. And so we call Jesus Savior and we call Jesus King that we get to belong into his kingdom and be his citizens and belong, belong with him. And then we also get to call him this. We get to call him Lord. And that's a funny word because it's not really, we don't really use it in sentences very often unless we're talking about Jesus as our Lord. But to call someone your Lord is also to say of yourself, I am a servant. And so, when we use the word Jesus is our Lord, and when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he's raised from the dead, that we are saved, that we are new life in Christ. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. But what, do we understand the weight of the word when we say Jesus is our Lord? I think it takes us all the way back to Joshua. I think it takes us all the way back to this moment and we say, who are we going to serve? Jesus invites us to see him as the Son of God. He invites us to see him as the Son of Man. He invites us to see him as the King of Kings. He invites us to see him as the Savior of the world, and he is all of that and more. He is the firstborn over all of creation. He is victory over sin and death. He is Messiah. He is King. And he's Lord. And it takes us a little bit of time to kind of understand that there is something within ourselves that changes when we say Jesus is Lord. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about what I want. It's no longer about all of my desires and my will, even though I think it's pretty spectacular. It's about him. And he's a jealous God. And he's a holy God. And I don't get to just say Jesus is Lord and then carry on my life as though that doesn't really mean anything. He gets all of it. 
As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message today. Who will you serve? Will you serve the gods that you've accumulated in your life? And by golly, if you think you haven't, you have. I know I have. Between money, between the worry of money and all of those things that sort of chase after us, pursuit of power and control, jockeying for positions of self-importance, all the ways in which my ego has left me in the dust and problems and all sorts of things, all of the materialism, all of the things that you think you chase after that matter, that will provide the security and the comfort that you want, all of those things are God's. Jesus said, would you make me one? Would you worship me only? Would you serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? Will you love him with all that you are? And will you do that and love your neighbor as yourself? So if you're convicted with me that we're called to do that, I I just wrote a few questions, some things to think about. And... This is just very basic, but so essential to our life. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you affirm those things that I've shared this morning? That if he is Lord, I am his servant. That if he's the Savior and Messiah, then I belong to him and he's my deliverer. That if he's my king, then I am a citizen in his kingdom. That if he is my teacher, I'm going to be a listener to him and a follower of his ways. Who do you say Jesus to be? Who do you really say that he is? That's a question worth exploring, I think, every single day because it shapes our worldview and it shapes our actions. How we treat people in this world, how we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves is dictated by who we declare Jesus to be. How do I serve the Lord? If I'm convicted this morning that I need to be a person of service in the kingdom of God, that I need to serve my Lord and Savior, well, how do I do that? And I think I come back to a few words. I come back to humility, honor, and hospitality. If you look at the bulk of application in the New Testament, when Jesus or when Paul says things like, Jesus is our Lord, now go and act like it, He teaches us to be humble. He teaches us to honor others above ourselves. And he teaches us to practice hospitality. Maybe it's an overgeneralization of a big chunk of the New Testament, but just in my simple head, that's the way I think about it. And so in humility, I need to trust in his ways and that I am not above his requests. God is going to ask things of you this week. He's going to ask things of you in your life. Do not be above his requests. Let us be humble servants in the kingdom of God. Let us echo the words of John the Baptist when he says, may he increase, Jesus increase, and may I decrease. When we think about honoring God, honoring our Savior, will all of my activities honor Christ as king in my life? When I think about the word honor, it's about praise, it's about respect, it's about fear, it's about adoration. Do I honor God and how I treat the people in my life? It's a worthwhile question to explore in our hearts. And then I think about hospitality.
Do I welcome people into my life to share the love of Christ? Do I welcome people into my life to share the love of Christ with them? How do I serve others? I think I'm humble. I think I honor them. I think I welcome them into my life. Can you do those three things? How do I serve the Lord? And then overall, I think serving God is like practicing what Jesus teaches. Like, crazy idea. I think he actually wants us to live the Sermon on the Mount. I know that's a radical idea to love our enemies. It's a radical idea to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's a radical thing to turn the other cheek. It's a radical thing not to be judgmental like everybody else is judgmental. Like, well, they're doing it. I can do it too. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 like Jesus actually wants you to live it and let us be a Sermon on the Mount people that practice what Jesus teaches. I think that's the real challenge. Will I live a kingdom-focused life on the practices of the kingdom of the king who led the way. And what's, uh, what's key competing for my fullest love, praise, and adoration for Jesus Christ? I can't answer the question for you. I can only ask it. What idols need to go? What fears are controlling you? What's competing for your fullest love and devotion to God? Joshua's words ring true still today. Throw them away. Throw them away. I don't know if you should do this if you've made your children your idols. But maybe just readjust your parenting. But uh, that's a mean joke. I'm sorry. Um, But we need to do an exploration of our heart. And this is a prayer question. What's competing for my love for you, God? And would you show me the errors in my ways? Would you lead me to the path of everlasting life? Would you lead me to a true and full devotion? And the reality is, friends, it's, we're not going to all get it all figured out today. But are you on the path to throwing away the things that are competing for your love for God? Today, are you committed to serving the Lord Jesus Christ as your King, as your Savior, as your Messiah, as your Lord? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord by... And fill in the blank. Take time today to talk with your family. Talk with your spouse. Talk with your friend. Talk with your church family. How will you serve the Lord? at the beginning how you enjoyed serving I have one simple request the thing that you enjoy serving would you do that for the people in this room and the people who are part of our church family would you serve the church again would you love well would you care for each other thank you for the many kind things you do for me I appreciate that very much. Would we continue to do those things for each other? That's what I think it's all about. Will we serve God's people? Will we love and bless one another?
Now of the overflow of that, will the world be blessed through a church that loves God and makes Jesus her Lord and her King? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You can do it too. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you that you've given us life and hope in your Son, Jesus Christ, that today there is salvation in Jesus' name. God, that there are no, there is no, um, there is no greater name than the name of Jesus. There's no greater king, there's no greater God, there's no one more deserving of praise than Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Lord and Savior of the world, Jesus who was crucified, who was raised from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of God, there is no greater name. And so may we live in such a way that we honor that name in every moment of our lives. And may we today, God, be a humble people who listen to your will and who serve you and glorify you. And may we welcome people into our life who desperately need to know that Jesus is king, that Jesus has saved them, and that there is no greater name than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please stand in response with us.